The wheel of time turns and ages come and go, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the Third Age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose in the mountains of mist. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the Wheel of Time. But it was a beginning. The Wheel of Time turns and podcasts come and go. Welcome to Wattcast, a Wheel of Time book and watch club. We are reading through Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series and watching Amazon's Wheel of Time TV show. I'm Caleb Wimble, and with me are Dan Katinsky. Hey, everyone. And Keely Frank. Hello. You can find us at Wattcast.net and support the show at Patreon.com slash Wattcast. Your support means a lot. Even $2 at the Two Rivers tier helps. But if you join us on Patreon at the $5 Tarvalon tier, you'll get access to special bonus zones where we talk about things like The Witcher with special guest Jerry Barney. That episode is up now, so if you subscribe, you can start listening right away, as well as with all our past bonusodes and new ones to come. Email us questions, comments, and corrections via contact at wadcast.net with the subject line questions. We'll answer them here on the show. For those unfamiliar, this is probably not the best week to start, but uh, The Wheel of Time is an epic fantasy series by Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson. We've read through the first book, The Eye of the World, and watched the first season of Amazon's TV adaptation, Today, we're digging into book two of the series, The Great Hunt, chapters 11 to 15. So if you're just starting out with the series, I recommend going back to our very first episode. And if you're just starting out with The Great Hunt, uh, check out the one right before this one, uh, if you're intending to be reading along. So uh, what happens in chapters 11 to 15? Well, as briefly as possible, we we basically have uh, two parties going two separate ways. We've got the group led by Ingtar of of Shyanar, um, leading Rand, Matt, Perrin, Hurin the Sniffer, Loyal the Ogier, and a whole host of others on a quest to retrieve the Horn of Valir, um, which is part of the Great Hunt, uh, because it's been stolen by Dark Friends and, uh, and Padden Fane, who was broken out of the prison at Shinar. So that's our one group. We've got them on their journey, uh, trying to track down the, these Trollocs on their path of destruction. We wrapped up last time with them encountering a, a Murdral nailed uh, and like killed and nailed up uh, like as a warning or something uh, on the door. So that's where we pick up with them. And then uh, we have like Ingtar telling Rand that he's the second in command at, at Lord Agomar's wish, I believe. Either Lord Agomar or uh, or um, the Amarlin seat. And Ingtar gives Rand this wrap bundle containing the, the dragon banner from Moraine, who is insistent that he have it. Uh, and then Perrin and Matt finally find out that Rand can channel, uh, and Matt is just generally being a shit about it, uh, as with uh, a lot of other things. He's, as he is slipping back into his, like, dagger diseasedness and in, in, in the equivalent of, like, withdrawal state here. Uh, meanwhile, Egwene and Nynaeve are headed with, uh, with the Omerlin's party to get to Tarvalon, where they can begin their training. Um, and Varen Sedai is, gives them a lesson in that along the way. Moraine disappears, as Moraine sometimes does, <laughs> when before the party boards a ship to Tarvalon. Egwene is starting to learn new things about her abilities. Nynaeve is reluctantly uh, taking lessons in the power as well. When she finds out, she can maybe skip her novice stage and go right to being and accept it really soon because she really doesn't want to be doing chores, scrubbing pots and and uh, and cleaning floors and stuff like that. Then Rand, Hurin, the Sniffer, and Loyal wake up uh, to find all the others missing. They seem to have traveled through a mysterious stone a portal stone of some kind, not to be confused with the way stones or the way gates, especially because I'm, uh, maybe, and we'll get into this, maybe they are the same thing in the TV show, even though they're two separate things here. I don't know. We'll find out. Anyway, they've been transported to another world. They're trying to find out how to get back. This seems to be uh, a world of things that might be instead of things that are, like an alternate timeline reality world. And Rand tries to get them back using the power through the stone. He doesn't know how to do it. These stones are things from even before the Age of Legends, we learn from from Loyal. Uh, After their disappearance, and, and, you know, now that the party on the Great Hunt after the Horn 
doesn't have their sniffer anymore, Hurin, who's able to to smell violence and track the violence that way, Perrin reluctantly reaches out to the wolves and and is good and is finally embracing or sword, you know, or not embracing, <laughs> reluctantly giving into his wolf brother powers and using that to to track after the Trollocs as the wolves help them on their way and greet him as young bull. Uh, and they, they head south to where the captured villagers have all been mur- murdered. Varen Sedai catches up with them, claiming Moraine sent her. So Varen is getting around a little bit and becoming a, a much more pivotal character very quickly. And uh, yeah, and then that Rand, Loyal, and Hearn continue their journey. And we have another Baalzaman nightmare. Um, with this, is this maybe the first one for Rand since he thought he killed Balsamon And Balsamon sort of demonstrates his power over Rand in the dream by having Rand's own sword burn him, leaving a heron branded across Rand's palm even when he wakes up. And I, and I think that brings us roughly up to date, skimping a lot of details. So, uh, Keely, uh, what, what did you think of these chapters? I guess starting with uh, what, 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 what stood out to you the most and what, what did you like the most and, or enjoy the most about these? I like that they're just continuing to be, this is kind of like a darker book uh, than mm-hmm. the first one. So, I mean, it starts off with people getting like flayed alive. So mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely darker. <laughs> Um, some of the decisions that they're making just again, are like, why are you doing that? Like, it makes no sense <laughs> to me. Uh, Matt is being really annoying the entire time. He's just like the decisions that Matt makes. It just makes me so much happier with the Matt in the show version. Mm. Um, and, oh, I thought the whole, there was a conversation between Rand and Perrin in chapter 11. And Rand is talking to Perrin about how, like, I'm the same like we're still friends whatever and Perrin was like oh you've changed and like Mm -hmm. you're talking to yourself and like walks away and I was like so have fucking you yellow eyes like (laughs) why I just that seemed like such a dumb thing to say and I think like later on he does Perrin does have like this internal monologue about how like well I have changed too and it's like Mm -hmm. yeah you all fucking have the world is ending you're you left your hometown for the first time ever like that's what happens when you grow up but it, that just kind of was like, again, like that stupid, it just read as younger than they are. Mm, yeah. And it, it, more like, more at, adolescent. Yeah. And at times it's like, okay, it does kind of suck because they have to be older than they necessarily want to be. They can't just be like, you know, typical older teenager, college age, whatever the hell they're supposed to be. They have to make these huge decisions and, you know, all of that. And I get that. That's like traumatic or whatever. But also like grow up faster. <laughs> Stop having mm. these stupid conversations <laughs> and being jealous of each other over stupid shit. Um, so that was uh, still those relationships are really annoying. Um, I did have a question, though. At one point, Padden, there's like a little section where it's Padden Fane's perspective. And he's talking about how like he's lost the ability to track Rand at different points. And is that, does yeah. that happen when Rand is like using the void? Or is that something totally different? Uh, that that really stood out to me. And it took me a minute to remember exactly why. And then it sort of clicked for me. I don't know if you have all the pieces uh, on a first read at this point to know. Dan, Dan what, what was your impression of that? I assume that's when he's kind of becoming his dragon self or whatever. It's like whenever he's touching the one power or like started mm-hmm. a channel, he mm-hmm. can kind of he can kind of blind out uh, people tracking him. It was just my hypothesis. But we don't actually, the audience doesn't have a concrete answer. Yeah, that, 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 that's definitely part of the answer, but there is a lot more to it uh, that we're getting other hints for so yeah we will get it told to us explicitly i believe okay. at, at at some point in this book what what is going on there but that that was an interesting detail uh, to just kind of be thrown in there because there's a lot of weird things that Huron's picking up on and 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 sort of alerting us to like yeah this is this is not the way even though we've kind of just met him th- this book uh they they sort of established a baseline for how his abilities work and they're all getting kind of wonky real quickly here uh, so, so I guess, uh, what, what about you, Dan? What, what were the highlights uh, of these for, for you? Uh, what, what, what worked for you at these chapters? These five might have been my favorite so far. I think they flow really nicely and the change in perspective isn't jarring. Uh, sometimes that slows down my reading pace when we switch scenes or perspective or characters and I had to kind of readjust like the last, last set of chapters where we switched to the captain. Uh, I find it mm. hard to do that context switching. Sometimes I'm ingrained in the moment and I don't like it when we jump out to a whole <laughs> different character. Like it, it's as, as the kind of reader I am, it's very jarring. If like you just like jump over to another section, then you have to go through the whole, like describing uh-huh. what's going on. Who's like, whose whose perspective is 
that takes me out of the moment and I have to readjust and then get back into that flow. So it's like this time around though, I feel like it's been a really healthy and like very like between like the, the channelers like going to uh, Tarvalon and then Rand's group tracking down the horn and then uh, Pat and Fane's perspective. I think be- jumping between those three really worked well and I don't think it disrupted the pacing at all. I've also really liked that they've leaned into the magic and gore this time around. It's There's more horror, mm. which I love. Um, <laughs> So it's darker. It feels more violent and almost Game of Thronesy with like some of the descriptions like we got last time with like him being uh, with the the fade being like nailed to the door was like that was that was a great de- like it kind of sets the tone there. I feel like Trollocs mm-hmm. are more creep. They're not as like fantasy like now. And they feel creepier. The whole murdering of the villagers and everything this in the set of chapters was like really eerie and like it just there's more weight to them. Um I don't think even the show has touched upon this as much yet. Uh, a little bit, I think, in the second episode when they're shown eating each other or, like, mm-hmm. it's dragging off a person or another. Like, I think the Trollocs get into a fight and either eats another Trolloc or it eats a person from the village. Yeah, right yeah. I, I know what you seen you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think before that, I think that's the only indication we've had up until now in this chapter that, like, they kind of eat, like, human flesh and everything and they're they're almost, like, zombie-like a bit. Um, and it's, like, it adds a layer of creepiness to them that they like have this like diet. Um, so I love that. And I like the magic. I'm not sure about the whole like ways 2.0, but uh, I do <laughs> like that. We're getting into like, like more of like, I'm glad parents like not being an ass about his abilities. He's tapping into the wolf side. I love that. They're uh, the, the women are starting to learn to channel. I think, I think one of Jordan's biggest strengths is when he starts describing magic and kind of all the stuff you can't normally see. I think mm-hmm. he's really utilizing the book format well because it's like some people don't recognize that as like the one of the best abilities of a book is you can describe stuff that like normally would be hard to kind of like manifest and like the void and this concept of like uh going mm. to this like meditative state for when you're channeling um when the women are doing like the whole flower sequence and all that he has a really fun and peaceful way of like describing magic that feels very tangible uh, and like touching the power and like the rippling of the water effect like all of his descriptors are really clear and they don't Sometimes if put, put, hand, like handled poorly, kind of draw me out of the moment or get me bored or like kind of confused about what the image I'm supposed to be like yeah, um, yeah. seeing is there. But I think he does a very good job of that. So yeah, definitely huge fan of these chapters. I think it's a little bit of deja vu because the first season of the show, I don't know about you both, but I, I feel like we've, we've had a lot of this already because they pulled it yeah. into season <laughs> one of the show. That's so like that's... that whole moment. Yeah, like the Emerlin seat meeting the, the two women, we get that like with Nineveh and... um. Egwene is done in the middle of season one of the show. So yeah, they, they yeah. push push a lot of this stuff forward. So I feel like we've already had like the three of us have already seen a lot of like what's now being like laid out in Jordan's book. I think one thing that is working much better for me in, in these chapters too, in addition to things uh you talked about, um and we got into this a little last week, but Jordan is feeling more confident in some of his story craft. And that's maybe more the, you know, editing more, get getting better, like doing doing more drafts uh, or, or just or just feeling more confident the first time. I feel the mysteries are much more interesting to me this time around. Like they're being seeded better. We're getting a lot more of the, the, the like, you know, like, oh, the, the signposts to pay attention to strange details. And that that feeds into the horror elements, I think, that there, it's kind of, there's kind of like the horror unfolding with, with mysteries about what the meaning of these events are and who these monsters, what, what these new threats are, what's going on with Pod and Fane, with, with the dagger, all of that feels better seated to me rather than we've talked about, you know, we frequently ran into the first book things that seemed like he came up maybe with an answer, a good answer 200 pages later or 300 pages <laughs> later and didn't always go back and seed it in in the most interesting way. Here, I feel like we are getting, even even on the thing that, that Keely, that you mentioned of um, the what's going on with Rand disappearing thing, like, oh, we get, we get like the little the little signposts and indicators that there are strange things going on and they feel rightly strange to me now in a dark horror, dark fantasy mystery horror sort of way. Like all those, all those genre threads being tied together a little, a little more effectively around. Um, Yeah. But it's, it's also been like a little frustrating. I mean, a lot of the stuff in this book, I'm like, why was this not in the first book? Like it would have (laughs) just like the first book felt to your point. I think it's, it's much more tied together with like the mystery and the narrative flow and it's like the first one just felt very sloppy in a lot of areas because the world building felt like he was just not giving it to the audience it wasn't like it was supposed to be building it just felt like it wasn't there and now he's describing a lot of core mechanics that i feel like should have been in the first book and it's like Hmm. you the level of investment that was hard to rally sometimes for eye of the world is 
100% here. It's just like, I don't, I don't know if it's just like, like to your point, it was like a first draft kind of mentality. And now that he has so much context laid out, he can start to kind of build and describe things better. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. he, maybe he didn't actually know. And he was like kind of making it in the draft and now he has like answers. So he's starting to like lay them all out. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, I'm baffled by like, I'm like some of this should have been revealed in the first book. And now we're getting like some solid answers between Marine and others. And there didn't seem to be a logical reason for why they were excluded from the first book. Hmm. Yeah, it could it could just be that it could be what you said. It could be uh, I, f- I feel like a lot of people, a lo- you know, a lot of writers do discovery writing where they where they discover like the story that they're telling. It's called like a- in the process of writing it and then go back and and and, uh, and implement all that, which maybe the first book didn't do so well. But I do get the sense and I I happen to know from like the things he said at cons at the time and um and from, you know, like all the blogs like Dragon Mount that were running over the years that Jordan did start to plan more and more and more as the series went on. And part of that was necessity, I think, as the world grew and we do get all these characters and all these threads going that he had to plot things out much more, uh, much farther in advance and have a sense of all that. It's possible Eye of the World, he knew where he wanted to go broad strokes, but didn't really find what what those things were or, you know, or build the world out until he got there. And it does feel the, the world is really really coming alive in, in some ways there, even if we do still have a lot of the same character frustrations about the the, the kind of adolescent acting leads. Yeah, I completely agree with Keely on her point about Matt. He's the most unlikable character I've kind of encountered in a book in a very long while. There's nothing likable about him, about him which is so odd because yeah. he's the... It's still like it's almost leaning into it harder where it's like they're polar opposites from the show version to the book. It's like they went to extra lengths to make him more interesting because I can't stand the book version at all. Like it really hurts to read his lines and like any yeah. season. You just want to punch him in the face every time he, he shows he'll, up. He'll like, get there. He'll get he'll get there. There's a good reason he is like the fan favorite character of the books. Like I'm waiting a, an for often it. winning winning those polls. Yeah, but it takes a while. It takes a while for him not to suck completely <laughs> at all times. Yeah, it felt like his, it feels like an overreaction to the way that people are treating Rand and then to how Rand treated Matt and Parent and yeah. um, Loyal when he was like, yeah, you guys should leave me alone, whatever. Like, Matt is just so stuck on this, like, well, Rand is different and people respect him and they're calling him a lord and fancy yeah. Rand. <laughs> like, maybe it's if so you were such a dick. People would be nicer to you. But I think it goes beyond uh, even Rand because he's such an like when parents like getting the vision or whatever and like he he's getting like he's connecting with the wolves or whatever and it like makes him nauseous because he's seeing stuff and it's, it's like he's like he's trying to be helpful in doing stuff like parents been a lot more mature this time around. Like, Matt just kind of, like, strolls up to him. He's like, oh, you're getting sick. Not to you, too. I can't take care of both of you. Like, Rand's, like, off for doing his lore thing. It's like, I can't take you doing yeah. stuff, too. It's like, what? <laughs> like, what? It's like, stuff is happening right now. And, and Matt's just, like, so selfish and self-absorbed and just whatever he's on. He's just like, oh, I can't handle yeah. you being nauseous right now. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's just like. I, I can't remember exactly what the dialogue is. But, like, at one point, he, like, suggests. Oh, it's when, um. Rand and Loyal and them were sleeping near the rock and like disappeared. And uh, yeah. Matt comes up and he's like, well, maybe they ran away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I love that Ingtar, whoever responded, was like, the fuck are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? And then Matt is uh, like, eventually just decides he's not going to overshare or like say anything else. But it's like, why are you here? If not to just yeah. piss yeah. everyone off. <laughs> like, and, and parents like secretly wanting to like push him out of the way or like interrupt. But he knows Inktar is there like, like observing everything. So he's like, he pretty much wants Matt to shut up. And that happened yeah. all the first book. Every time, like they have some information they're not supposed to share, it's always Matt that's gonna overshare it, and they always have to worry he's gonna like reveal something he's not supposed to. It's just like he's the worst yeah. kind of character. Well, this is a this is a problem. Maybe that I feel like eighty, maybe eighty to ninety percent of the time we have known Matt in the book now has been under the influence of the dagger that turns people into selfish, paranoid assholes uh, to a point where then they eventually kill everyone around them and. And now he's in like, you know, he, he withdrawal from that maybe slash he's he the whole reason he's here is he'll die if he gets too far away from that dagger. And that's a lot of pages at this point to spend with uh, a, a main character, granted, not a perspective character really yet, who is just 
you know, partly magically an asshole <laughs> in such an insufferable way. And they can't, and he's their friend that they grew up with. So, you know, they can't get rid of him. They got, they're obligated to tolerate his bullshit and keep him alive and try to save him by getting this dagger back. But it's a long time to put up with that. Well, even, and, even in the beginning though, like Jordan did not do a good job of like, like the show did a fantastic job of establishing. He's like this. Yeah. yeah. He, he's got his own problems as a character. He has like some flaws, which kind of fleshes him out. But he also is like, on the other hand, he's like this caring brother who cares. Like he has an alcoholic mother and like a neglectful father, and he cares a lot about his younger sisters. And that's a really fun perspective because he feels well rounded. Yeah. He doesn't just care about his sisters. He's also kind of a bum who is bad with money and has his own issues and all that. And he he kind of just like he's a little lazy, but he also is like really clever. He has some fun dialogue. And in the books, he gets like he's like the Lord of the Rings like parent or um, Pippin and Mary kind of like comedic relief mm-hmm. he's not that funny he kind of jokes around for a little bit and pulls pranks but he's not an endearing character and we barely got any time with that so it's like jordan didn't set him up as this like lovable yeah, caring yeah. person to That's show true. that he becomes bitter there's not a good transformation arc he's kind of just like yeah this side character who instantly becomes this asshole that you don't care about so it's like they didn't i don't think he really had that transformation go very well no the show change was great for, and, and that 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 context in the first episode was so much more effective, I thought, than the, you know, giving Perrin a tragic dead wife back backstory <laughs> for intern. Uh, like, I mean, you could see what they were going for with both, but one misses pretty hard. And, and but the one with Matt, just like you said, it, gave, it gives so much more understanding of who he is. It shows he has a heart of gold right at the beginning and gives something for him to change into. It's, it's almost like if you have, if, if, if like you mentioned, uh, Perrin and Mary in Lord of the Rings, if you had like, only those chapters of Two Towers where Sam is in Mordor and being an absolute asshole to Smeagol and just like a real nasty yeah. piece of shit to him. If that were like 90% of Sam instead of the, the Sam we all know and love and had the whole rest of the time. Yeah, I can. That, I totally agree. That's a it's, it's maybe it's maybe a problem for for writing the character this long. Yeah, and I think like um like you said like a, a an issue that I have with it though is like with every almost every fucking other character at this point we're getting at least a paragraph of their kind of inner monologue mm-hmm. um like even Pat and Thane saying that you know like oh he's got the dagger and it doesn't seem to be impacting him that much because he's already kind of fucked up from being a dark <laughs> yeah. friend for like forty five years but like. <laughs> it feels like we're getting kind of the mentality and mm-hmm. the motivations of everyone else. Whereas Matt is just his own dialogue to other people being a dick. And so yeah. it's like if if we had that that backstory that like the show gave, which I think I think Caleb, you said at some point they do talk about his family more. It's mm-hmm. like it, he was more relatable in the show because I mean, like my mom was an abusive alcoholic and I was parentified really young. So I totally get his character. I have not murdered my wife. I don't get that <laughs> character for parents. So it's just like they made him more relatable with that. Whereas with Perrin, they just kind of like they gave him something so interesting and complex. And then we're just like, you're the kid that's traumatized. You get nothing mm-hmm. else. Your eyes except, turn except kind of more trauma (laughs) yeah like you you're just a trauma dump and so that just like that really sucked but i am happy that like the the book is giving us more of parent and like he is using it and like his dialogue with ingtar where ingtar was just like oh shit like i've heard about you people don't fucking tell anyone but this is sick like (laughs) like i thought that was wonderful like an an adult being an adult in this moment yes i love it no overreaction it was beautiful (laughs) i agree it's like yes the Cheyennearns are just so chill in general compared to a lot, a lot of people in, in this world. Yeah, they're like they're like and se- they have- sensible and understanding and heroic and <laughs> yeah, they they got like and they have like their own customs and they're not like completely overreactive and they seem to actually pull their way and they're not like fodder for like just killing off because they actually seem pretty capable. So it's like I'm a little like mad well not little you know how much i i don't like the showrunner <laughs> but like you just killed off their entire group in the season finale like all the soldiers died you had like the whole vortex of like lightning come down and everything but all the soldiers are dead it looks like like amelisa's no one came, dead like, Agomar's everyone's dead, dead so i'm like <laughs> what are you gonna do like there's so much setup like they have such rich characters they were building on the beginning of this book i'm like what are they gonna do with them <laughs> they're not there U- uno's dead right he was one of the ones he died he he's here in a big way but he died in the throne room protecting the was that the uno horn. did he get named in the or was he a random i, th- I like, think so because i think nick was upset about that because he really liked U- U- uno in the great hunt and but it's like well no yeah. uno everyone's and, dead 
in, in season two. Oh, yeah. I was going to say that I just, I think it was either Uno or the other like sidekick dude in the show in Faldara. One of them had like a stupid dialogue moment where they're like walking onto a balcony, I think, to like overlook, like mm-hmm. overlook where the, the wall and the barricade is. And it, I forget what he says, but it was something so cliche and stupid about like, I can smell battle in the air. So it's so fucking stupid. <laughs> and I was like, I, you know. You've made some choices with the dialogue. And stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, choices have been made. Uh, okay, so on the on the Fane thing, just just to be clear, because I am, am uncertain now. Did we read the 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 Fane's perspective chapter this week? I'm having trouble finding it at the minute. Was that was that one of the? Yep. Um, yeah. Okay, so what what do we think? Uh, that that was I I thought it was very interesting uh, in a like darkly funny sort of way to uh, to see like. The Trollocs cowering from from Fane at this point, and and the uh, the uh, every everybody else just utterly freaked out by this character who before went from being like you know just a from our perspective harmless peddler to being like this really uh, beleaguered and bedraggled uh, like vagrant figure to becoming like increasingly this monster. Um, and I'm trying to I have this image I forget which oh you know I have almost the. The, the the Lilo and Stitch image here of when of when they come into the when they come into the pound and all the other dogs are like like the much bigger dogs are all terrified like up in the <laughs> rafters and just shaking up there and there's like Dobermans and 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 like all these uh, and Rottweilers and pit bulls up there cowering away from like little Stitch down below and that, sort of the vibe <laughs> of this chapter of Fane, of Fane prancing around his camp um, and we don't quite know maybe quite why they're all so terrified of him yet uh, other other than that they are and even the trollocs are cowering and he's and uh that culminates with him having them eat and butcher and then discard of all the remaining humans because they're all the captives are slowing them down so real macabre stuff in that scene and all and even these other these dark friends who are being dragged along and and we're uh are terrified of him and worry that they're going to be fed, fed to the trollocs next and uh they were expecting much better when they pledged their souls to the dark to the dark one, but at this point, it's not entirely clear that Fane is following the dark one necessarily, or or doing his bidding. He seems to have his own agenda going on. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think like part of at least it was reading to me like part of the reason why they were so scared of him or so intimidated is because he feels unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Like he's it was him that like crucified the fate right yes didn't he say we, that he did that yep okay. and we still don't know how but he did yeah <laughs> yeah I'm I wondering thought, that too. i think we were thinking like maybe it was um what's her name lanfear however the fuck you say her name oh the other uh, forsaken yeah yeah so to find out that it was him i was like oh <laughs> well fuck <laughs> okay so and i think it's also that like they're building him to be so incredibly fucked up that like i said like he's got the dagger and he's just like cool my knife is back like he he doesn't it doesn't seem to have any impact on him and that you find out this whole time that like for years they trusted him and i think it's that it's that kind of like typical you know like stranger danger is scary but it being someone you know and trust is so much more like fucked up internally and so i think for me like i love his character I love how <laughs> fucked up he is, how like terrifying he is. Like, yes, please, more of that. Less of, <laughs> you know, all these like, everyone's going to be a hero. You're the most powerful there's ever fucking been. Like, I'm tired of hearing mm-hmm. that. Give me all the fucked up. Keep crucifying people. Keep playing bitches. I love this. Like, and I even, I even wrote down, like, I wondered when they were originally talking about chasing like the trollic horde and stuff how it's like oh well they'd stop here and there'd be a dead body and then they'd zigzag that way and there'd be and i wrote down like is he fucking with them like (laughs) is he he playing the long game where he's like okay make sure you show one body here and then we're gonna zigzag and double back and fucking leave he kind of he kind of is though yeah because he tells them to like leave the heads on like to cut like he's like leave a pile he's like they're slowing us down he's like we'll keep a few of you dark friends to feed them but we're gonna just like pile them up and then take their heads and kind of like line them up so they can discover that and then he's like toying with ran too he's like uh i think he's kind of super satisfied he doesn't have to get chased by or he doesn't have to go after Rand anymore he, he has Rand following him so like yeah. he, he loves that the tables have kind of turned and that everyone's like kind of coming to him now and he doesn't have to kind of like trot off after them like he did in I, the first book and that little bit of his thought process of like where the thought starts out ah, I, I if I were paying attention I prob I probably shouldn't have let the Trollocs kidnap that whole that whole village of people that was a bad idea and it's like ellipses because I was just having so much fun killing that fade that I wasn't even paying. And it's just, 
this like over the top uh, cartoon evil sadism that I am very excited to see Johan Myers lean into because we only got him for like really three, maybe three scenes, I think, in, in the whole first season. And the way he embodied even like pre totally fucked up Fane, I am very excited to see him just chew the scenery and escalate the character a- across this. Um, which... That makes a lot more sense now, too, though, because it's like the first book, I thought they were just changing the character a lot. And now that we have this, so you knew this, Caleb, but we didn't. So it's like, I see they're just, they just sped up his character development, whereas like he's more confident, whereas they, kept the, they completely skipped mm, the whole yeah. like shriveled, like cell version of Fane mm-hmm. who felt more like Gollum. They just kind of glossed over that to this now more swaggering, like crazy, maniacal, powerful Fane is like, seems to be the direction they're now like just going Although... to. We do have the Gollum element here still in that there's a couple times where he's thinking like a couple times he woke up in the morning and he was that other person. He was that old weak uh, fa- that fane that he despises and, and like which he seems to think of as a different person. Now it's doing that, you know, that that horror or fantasy version of like a split personality thing. But more in that in that Gollum Spiegel way, it's in where this one personality is able to dominate more now that he has the dagger back uh, which he which he also sort of he doesn't he's not quite doing the my precious thing uh which he was doing at the end of the eye of the world but it does but he thinks of it as a part of him i think we get in a couple times like it's all it's like it's an extension of him um oh and he's also i guess importantly he doesn't he hasn't figured out how to open the box that the great horn or that the, that the horn is in the horn of Val- valier because he's eager to use that for himself too uh almost more for the fun of doing it i think than anything i'm not, I'm not really sure at this point if he like what if he is a man with a grand plan, or if he's more of the Heath Ledger Joker in the Dark Knight vi- vibes, which is very much, I think, of what I'm getting in this this chapter set of perspective. Well, here. I'm a little conf- I'm a little confused. Do you either of you remember? Is there a puzzle to opening the box that they mentioned? Because I didn't realize it was like specially locked. I was wondering about that, and then when they're like, he can't open the box, it's like, okay, so that kind of gives him a narrative reason to like hold off using it because he can't mm-hmm. access it yet, even though he has it. But I don't remember them mentioning if the box was like specially or magically sealed from anyone just opening it. I think it was a brief. I could be wrong, but I think Moraine sealed it, or one of the other Aes Sedai as she put it back in. But I, I don't remember for sure. That was not a passage I, that stood out to me at the time. So. No, I don't remember. But is anyone else picturing that this box is just the lament configuration? Yes, yes. <laughs> that is all I could fucking picture. <laughs> Anytime mm-hmm. that they talk about this fucking gold box, I'm like, okay, Hellraiser, that's what this is. Yeah. I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> because they haven't said, how big is the horn? Is uh, it like little? I, I don't know. Like kind of like a traditional horn, at least be a, a sizable horn. I don't know. Like horns so it- aren't aren't that small either the box is like hermione's bag where she pulls out like everything from it or he's got this big ass fucking gold box that i feel like would be kind of hard to hide with him is he carrying it on him or just like he could have in his bag that's not like he's like a cube he's pulling out of his jacket though is it i was picturing more of like a like a chess box I always pictured it a certain size because it's on the cover of the book, but those paintings are so wildly inaccurate so much of the time that I have no idea if it's actually uh, that size. Like, for one thing, it shows Loyal being, like, uh, five feet, uh, five or six feet tall on the thing, and it shows the Trollocs as people and horns in the version I grew up with. Although, the horn looks the same on the new cover that you have, too, Dan, actually. I'm looking looking at it now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bigger, though. Like, uh, it's a it's a sizable horn he's holding. Uh, you you'd need a pretty big box, especially with like I don't know if it actually they described it this way. I was always picturing like a hunting horn, like a goat horn. Uh, but they have it kind of like more like wrapped it's around like, a like kind horn. of the ornate. Yeah, it's like yeah, a French yeah. horn. Yeah, I was definitely thinking it's like one of those giant like horn Viking mug things you get from the Ren yep. Fair. Like that's what I was picturing, not like yeah, an actual yeah. like. Okay, I also played a risky game of googling it, so now <laughs> I'm gonna get spoiled <laughs> on everything. <laughs> But okay, that makes more sense. It wouldn't necessarily look as out of place as I was imagining it would. So uh, one of my just favorite little little bits, as 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 will become maybe a recurring motif, when when uh, when Perrin and the rest of them are um, dealing with the 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 aftermath of the disappearances here, and then a speck appears on the horizon, like horse and rider. Uh, she's slow to a trot as she came up on them, fanning herself with one hand. A plump, graying woman with her cloak tied behind her saddle who blinked at them all vaguely. And the mo- uh, I just smile the moment that Varen comes back into the story and is showing up to meddle with things this way because I 
I really like her character, and I don't know how much of that is me remembering what I like about her later versus just like from the moment she showed up in The Great Hunt, but I'm really enjoying every one of her scenes and her little uh, like like tutorials with the um, with the others. Uh, she giving us a, a different sort of point, not point of view, I said I, but you know, like being more of the Moraine role so far, but with a very different personality from Moraine. Yeah, like to me, she reads as comic relief, <laughs> like for some of the comments that she's made so far. But I, I still definitely she comes across as like that, like quirky librarian. That yeah. doesn't necessarily <laughs> play into all the like petty bullshit that happens in the world. So whenever somebody tries to make something more dramatic than it is, she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, that's not how that works. <laughs> I definitely appreciate her. But now I'm so she said that Moraine sent her to them. But so we know Moraine and Lan took off and then Leandrin mm-hmm. took off after them. So where the fuck are they going? Good question. I assume they're going after the women, but I don't know. After women. which women? To Tarvalon. Oh no, they abandoned them. Never mind. No, they, they, yeah, yeah, they, they, they left. Yeah. yeah. So no, I don't know what the fuck they're doing then. <laughs> it is yet to be disclosed. But yeah, I do like her showing up, and I think I enjoyed kind of the whole. She almost wants to backpedal to figure out why they disappeared. Once she finds out they disappeared, she like kind of mm-hmm. wants to go back to the source and kind of look around a little bit. And then like even with the the fade, she's like, I wanted to examine it because it's like we haven't got a one that's close before. So it's like she reminds me of the scientist. I'm spacing on her name, but the scientist character from uh, Attack on Titan who just constantly wants to like. There's mm-hmm. these like human eating massive like new titans that have no capacity for thought as far as it seems or all they want to do is eat humans and this character is like pint size but just is like so fascinated by them even when they try to like kill her she's like wants to learn more about them and th- this character is reading mm-hmm. very similar to that like even if there's danger it's like ooh, well, like what? we haven't documented this before it's like i want to take notes so it's, it's it's a fun character dynamic yeah and it's useful to be that librarian and or science scientist archetype who also has like these incredible magical powers uh to you to use if need be <laughs> and and protect herself in in any of these situations, although maybe not necessarily everyone around her. Um, it was I I I enjoyed having uh, her budding heads with Nynaeve a l- little bit. Um, Nynaeve is still not quite where to. I think she's not quite caught up to show Nynaeve yet in terms of personality. Um, and we'll see how things go uh, as that dynamic that conti- continues. But it was cool to see more of the explicit of what embracing the power is like, like you talked about, Dan. Uh, any any other thoughts on that? I feel like Egwene is still kind of in, still not really coming across uh, in, in, in here either as like, as like a full and fleshed out character. She feels kind of the generic protagonist uh, so, sort of thing in a way that, you know, that often like Rand has been throughout large stretches of the story. And almost in this scene, she's almost just like a, an observer for the Varen and Nynaeve dynamic. She's not really, she's kind of just happy to go along with the Aes Sedai to some extent, I guess. So she's not really the one who is making decisions uh, or or really part of the conflict in, in her perspective chapters so far. Or I guess a little more at Faldara, um, mostly around I- the hiding Rand stuff. I actually like her character. It comes off a little generic, yes, but like she's this warm kind of character, kind of like Hermione figure that I gravitate mm. towards as like a nice cushion to everything else going on. Um, I <laughs> like that. I like the innocent character that also has power, who is a little more like um, space on the word right now, but uh, she's like more tuned into the other character's zone, is sympathetic to that, um, and mm. not as like she's not self-absorbed at all. And I, I kind of dislike that. So it's like, and her like okay. wondering if Nynaeve, Nynaeve is going to like break down and like be all mad. And like, she's like sitting there and she brings an interesting perspective to that scene. Cause even though Nynaeve is the main focus, she's almost turning out to be like, Egwene's almost the tragic character at the moment. Because like, I was almost laughing when like the, the Ice Sedai like looks at her and she's like, oh, you're not unique at all. Like she literally just says that for verbatim. It's like, she's like, oh, <laughs> like Nynaeve, you're like, you have a lot of power. Like we haven't seen stuff like this in like hundreds of years. Like you have a lot of potential. And then she's like, she just turns to Egwene and she's like, and you're, you're not unique. She's like, mm-hmm. well, you're, you're the, you're the one of those cases. Like Nynaeve is a fringe case, but you're like one of those cases where it's like, you jumped into it headstrong and you have no fear around it. And she, Although- and she concludes that with, and you're not like unique. <laughs> We've seen those before. You're like, you're just like Marine. But then like, by the, by the end of the, by the end of the chapter, we, we, we learn from Anaya 
that Egwene may have a talent that they that is incredibly rare and that they haven't seen for ages. Which also stuff. made me laugh because con- characters are constantly getting a bill- yes. like, like, oh, we haven't <laughs> yeah, seen that in yeah. 400 years. Like, no big deal. It's like, oh, it's a, a dreamwalker. It's like, oh. I, I wrote that down in my notes because I just thought it's hilarious at this point where they're constantly like, well, we haven't seen that in a few hundred years. It's like, oh, yeah. cool. You're like, <laughs> or like... Uh, like the sniffers or whatever, it's like Wolfwalkers is like, oh, those haven't been around since the dawn of the time. But okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, it's cool. It's like glad those are now reoccurring. It's <laughs> like we, we've waited a few millennia for those to reappear. Well, and I like that they talked about, um, I think, is this the first time that they anyone has mentioned the what they call the Wilders? Yeah, I think are, by name, yeah. by name. Yeah, women that can somewhat control their abilities. So like they're saying that that's what uh, Nynaeve is. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And then they introduce um, Sherium, who's the mistress yeah. of novices in Tarvalon, because she's basically bullying Nynaeve into practicing by saying like, you're going to have to fucking clean the floors if you don't help. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, getting her. So, and then um, was Egwene dreaming of Lanfear? Is that like setting her up again? Because she sees a woman and a man. When she's dreaming about Rand and thinks that he's in trouble? Well, I can't say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to be uh, determined then. Unless you I didn't want pick me to pick up on that. Um, let's see. I had it. She says I had a dream. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rand's on the ground, sleeping, wrapped in a cloak. A woman was standing over him, looking down. Her face was shadow, but her eyes seemed to shine like oh, the moon. Oh, yeah. And Egwene had known she was evil. Then a flash of light and they were gone. She sees some other stuff, too. There's like an iron trap. There's like a bunch of imagery that's more... Like yeah. min min style metaphorical, um, like of a big. But Keely, uh, you're right though. They did. I remember she mentioned that she couldn't place who the figure was. It could have been Moraine. It could have been any of the other Aes Sedai or like any other of the like. It could have been a lot of figures that she could have inserted there, but it wasn't like described clearly who it was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She wondered if the woman had been Moraine and upbraided herself for the thought. Leandrin fit that part better, or perhaps Alana. She had been interested in, in Rand too, but but yeah. all, but she doesn't tell that part to Anaya. Uh, and she seems certain that the woman was evil. Uh, just question about the dreamwalker thing. Is mm-hmm. uh, Balzaman a dreamwalker? Well, if you recall, this was one of those previous, well, I can't quite say things, in Eye of the World in Camelin, when Moraine catches up with everybody and finds out that they've been having these dreams the whole time, and she's like, what the fuck? Tell me, wait, you have the dreams all And, and she, she does say at that point, with no explanation, Ah, God, there hasn't been a dreamwalker in hundreds of years in Tarvalon, but if I had known someone was walking into y'all's dreams, I could have tried or, or, or like tried to uh, hunt down like some of the, the lore around that, like try to look up the knowledge for, for what to do about dreams. So I think that's our, that might be our only prior mention of dreamwalking as a talent and maybe an, indica- an early foreshadowing, an indicator from Moraine there that it has something to do with yeah, with with being able to even enter dreams in that way. So maybe that maybe Balzaman is doing something like that that he's able to affect them physically through that process. Yeah, because then there's like that whole dream sequence or whatever it is with Balzaman showing up to Rand again while Loyal uh-huh. and uh, what's his face are asleep. And so then I was wondering like because Rand is like saying to himself like this is a dream. Is this a dream? This could mm-hmm. be a fucking dream. I can't tell. And so I was wondering that too. Like, is he actually? Like, how powerful are we supposed to assume that Balzaman is at this point? Because we know he can hurt Rand through the dreams because he's woken up injured before. But is it something where, like, if Loyal woke up, he wouldn't see that any of it was happening? He would just see, like, Rand staring off into the distance or something? Or is Balzaman, like, keeping them asleep while he's showing himself? Like, it's weird that there's other people around this time. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. It, uh, and maybe we'll get an answer in the next set of chapters. I didn't. I didn't get to finish them yet. Uh, but we are getting. There's a lot of developments really quickly. Um, I, oh, you, we haven't. We haven't really talked about the place they are itself, have have we? The the the. What do we know so far about where Rand and Loyal and and Huron are in in this uh, other world? Well, they traveled through a stone. Mm-hmm. We know that, and it's kind of like this is. Oh, this is the thing that makes me wonder. Remember the the show changed the appearance of the way the waygate so dramatically and made it this thing you had to use the power for rather than something that could be operated like by Ogier with the the leaf panels and all that and made it something you had to like open this portal in which it makes me wonder if the show is going to merge the two technologies the waygates created in the Age of Legends and and then whatever these stones are that transport them here because you do it seems have to have the power to use the stones unlike the way gates but they're not in the ways like i think that that's clear 
And do, does Loyal give, I don't want to, again, because I accidentally read past a little bit, does Loyal give uh, an explanation of where he thinks they are in, in this chapter here? Well, they um, said, like, they said it was, a, from what I've gathered, it almost felt like a Twilight Zone, like, alt so it's an, he did, he did mention alternate worlds, he mentioned, I didn't realize other eyes that I could access it yet, because he almost made it seem like it was, a, like, a lost form that only older eyes that I did, yeah. which Rand seems to think it might be only male eyes that I that could access it. And then I started thinking if it's, like, modern technology, because they're, Jordan started to hint at that with uh, mm -hmm. a few chapters ago with the captain and his like light stick or whatever. I was like, oh, does he have like a modern flashlight or something? He's like, it broke oh. easily, almost caught the almost caught the boat uh, in flames. We didn't talk about that last time, and I was like backtracking to read that. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, there. I was like, is there any modern technology that fits this pattern of like uh, something you can access and like transport? But I'm like, no, because they're in an alternate plane that seems more dried out. Like they use laundry as a descriptor, like. Like laundry that's been sitting in the sun too long, everything kind of looked like bleached out or like whited out. It was like more. It's of a all kind of dead, dead and empty. Yeah, There's like, like a dead zone. And... Yeah, and yeah, they, they just said the woods about... so far. And they talk a lot about the water mm -hmm. that, like, mm -hmm. it's drinkable, but there's nothing living <laughs> yeah. in it. Um, and how, like, even the horses don't like how it fucking yeah. tastes. <laughs> um, but it was also weird that, like, if they look around too much, it gets like hazy and they get dizzy, so mm -hmm. they have to like keep their head down the whole time. So that's what I was wondering. Like, are they on like an alternate timeline or something? Like, where the hell did they go? But then, Huron is having like a really hard time. Um, is that his name? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, He's having a, a really hard time following the past. And he says that he, it's like he has like a memory of it, but he's not necessarily, he can't really like figure out, is he smelling it or is it a memory? And then I was wondering like, are they somewhere where a, a battle has been in the past that people haven't been to in a long time? Because he said like, it feels like people died like right now, but there's no mm -hmm. one here. So yeah, I was wondering- yeah, I I was surprised the characters didn't pick up on that right away because it, it seems like they're able to the way he described it and the lack of connection that they had because he's like, oh, it's like, I mean, where we were in that spot, I like there was no sign of like battle or like loss of life or whatever. Yeah. I was like, is he not putting together? It's like ages past. So it's like a mesh of like either before or after. It's like it's like a mesh plane of reality because it's yeah. like it's clear that it was like a, a war that was fought like way before where you were. It's like a time thing. He's like seeing timestamps from like centuries ago. Or at but least, like, he thinks he future. still smells the particular violence they were tracking too before, like that's still yeah, there, yeah, yeah. like the the Trollocs and Fane. Yeah, but with the idea of like alternate worlds, you think they could put it together that it's like kind of a mesh reality they're in right yeah. now, or it's like they're in a reality between realities, so they're like experiencing multiple layers of time and event. This is an interesting um, kind of portrayal of loyal at this point because mm. typically he's been like I fucking know everything let me tell you everything whether you want to hear it or not and now he's just like very quiet like I think I know what's going on but I'm not going to share it with you I'm just going to act mysterious and then I'm going to sing to the trees to make a fucking oh, yeah. weapon. Yeah which he's I thought making was weapons cool, now. But, yeah but it was also like ooh like you're supposed to be like solid and with it and if you're kind of freaking out I feel like everyone else should be freaking out way more uh -huh. than they are. <laughs> Yeah, his description of like energy and trees being connected to the source, but not having their own thought. And then they, they go back to the whole, I thought it was a really cool character growth moment when he's like describing all this. He's like the energy and connected life forms and all that and the flow of life. And then Rand in his head is like quoting Marine without like, he kind of almost like sort of regrets it, but he's like the wheel. He's almost saying what yeah, Marine's yeah. line <laughs> of the wheel we use as the wheel uh, wills. And I was like laughing, but I was also like, yes, Rand. He's just like, there's a lot of fun Rand moments where it's like very satisfying arc like development like between that one and then when he's like I wish I had Moraine to talk to I'm like you <laughs> motherfucker you like, you spent all of last book like I, I noted that down because this was like a little while earlier but he's just like I wish I had Moraine to talk to and it's like you spent all of last book every chapter bitching about how you want to get away from her and now he's also defending Aes Sedai too he's like like they were worried about the Aes Sedai coming up but like him or parent i think it was ran was just like oh i said i aren't all bad it's like he's like mm. they they have their ways but they're not gonna like kill you or whatever he like brushes it off so it's like rand has definitely changed from the first book and it's kind of funny like there's a lot of irony now like his thought process now versus like in the first book yeah i was just like you motherfucker <laughs> you gave her such a hard time so this whole like section of the three of them being together i have such mixed feelings about because rand is finally like being chill where he's like okay i have to take control i don't fucking want to but i'm gonna because these guys mm -hmm. are freaking out and it's gonna make me feel worse 
So he's kind of like, I will figure this out. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing because I'm still like 18, but I will figure this out. But then also, did anyone else get so fucking irritated that they're like, how do we get back? I don't know how to get back. I know. Let's ask Pat and Fane and the Dark Friends when we find them as if they won't fucking murder us. Like, are you kidding oh, me? I, I missed that. <laughs> I hate that, that they're like, well, we just have to find the Dark Friends. If they got here, then they can tell us how to get out. We'll just wait till we mm. find them and we can get the horde and we can ask them and we can be fucking friends. And it's like, that does not make sense for this whole what? fucking thing. Do they think they're going to be friends or I thought it was more of they no, were going to like. No, that's me being an asshole. Well, I mean, but like, I mean, it's a good point though. It's like, do they think they're going to interrogate them? Or I almost thought it was like, they're either going to like observe how they exit or just like trail them yeah. down or they're going to steal the horn, like capture Fane and then try uh-huh. to get him to talk about like how to escape from there because eventually fame would want to escape that plane i don't know they don't really have a lot of options right now though it's it's also it's like it's also just the three of them i'm like how do you think you know how many or an estimate of how many trollocs you saw them fucking crucify a fade and your dumb asses think you can go (laughs) up and capture him and also just ask for directions like it just that felt so kind of stupid and lazy to me about well we'll just ask like we're not gonna you know we're not gonna have rand fuck around with this rock too much because then they'll catch on that he's got the power we're just gonna we'll ask I, I do have the sense that it's partly that they are so terrified and inher- like and hopeless to the point of, of breaking about the situation of like, oh, we've got, what the fuck, what, what do we, like, we're, what do we do? We're in this other dead world and we can't get back. And I get the sense that there's some of, that it is really, really, really unnerving for Rand to see even Loyal Lo- Lo- this unnerved and have no idea what to do. And Huron seems like he's on the point of absolutely losing it, like just needs to cling to- yeah, he's- cling to he's already confirmed yeah uh, yeah so i feel i feel like to some extent rand is just like okay well it's something for us to do until we can figure anything out and i I kind of that's sort of the process i got and he's kind of feeling the same way too but this is like a lifeline of sanity to be like well what else there's no obvious answers here like no no other way out of this so we'll just continue on with the mission even if the mission makes no sense at this point and is completely hopeless because that's like less hopeless than um than sitting here and you know he doesn't know how to channel and he's gonna what figure out this uh this this ancient pre Sedai, pre age of legends technology that even they don't really know how to use um and and kind of I, I, that that was sort of the vibe I got that it's just like well what else are we gonna do to the, to that point the sniffer has already admitted defeat and thinking they're gonna die like he's already convinced he just wants his body be, his wife to be able to find his body so mm. I do think they recognize it's a dire state like even while they're going he has like his little chant that ends with them like just going embracing like the mother or whatever so like mm. I think he's already like realizing he's gonna die so I don't think he's like gonna live through this encounter or he just kind of wants to be able to like get buried back home so he seemed almost admit defeat too fast he's like oh well we're gonna die and he's just like wants to now be able to die where his body can be found or they can tell that but I don't know I felt like he got pretty morbid pretty fast compared to like some of them <laughs> he's the game over man game over the yeah. first time the first time the xenomorphs show up pretty much he got really depressing there he's just like well i'm gonna die make sure they find my body or tell my wife that i died here so that they at least know where because he's like i do appreciate that he's so concerned about her he's like she's gonna like never get over this if they don't find my body or if <laughs> my kids know what happened yeah um question they where did i write it down they keep talking about oh straight lines in the sky yeah yeah did they notice that um my idea, because I don't know what that is, is that hopefully they're bringing back the big scary monsters from the sky. Chemtrails. <laughs> oh, oh, the the drag car, the the little like, sort yeah. Of bat, because why would you ones, introduce yeah. them and never bring them back, you assholes? Give me something. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm hoping. Because I mean, the only thing that I could picture was like when it when like a jet goes by and leaves like the, yeah. the line of the sky. Like that's what I was picturing. I don't think that's what he's putting into this universe. So I hope that it's like. That could the... be fun, though, fighter jets. <laughs> that That is kind of what it sounds like, right? Like, a, like almost like a line drawn with a cloud, like way too straight to be natural. He described that does sound like yep. a contrail. Um, and I don't know. That was the one other thing that made me think what you were saying, Dan, of like possible sci-fi technology th- things going on. Um, uh, the other thing that it made me picture at first, like I, had to, I did have to read it a couple of times, but like, oh, it sounds like a contrail was... And all I was picturing, it was also describing at some point how like even looking at the horizon, like there was something weird about it and the lines and like seeing these suspiciously straight things ever that had me picturing almost like computer 3D wireframes, like in, you know, like, like 3D mesh type thing going on. Like, like, oh, is this a simulation sort, sort of thing? Like it almost had 
that, that yeah. I, I don't know if that's the intended imagery because it is so abstract and Rand is struggling to describe something that he doesn't have words for and he doesn't want to talk to the others about it because he's not sure if he's starting to go crazy from the from the Saiyan taint. Yeah, he almost it almost feels like the video game like uh, what's the name of the fog you get like the players like view fog or whatever. It's like yeah, yeah, the they draw can't, they can't look the draw <laughs> distance. Yeah, it's like they can't look past the draw draw distance. There. <laughs> okay, uh, any any final thoughts on these chapters and and uh, wrapping us up on this week's read? Where the fuck is Tom Marilyn? They keep hinting at him. <laughs> they keep randomly bringing it up. They said his it in cloak. the first couple. Yeah, his cloak. They said it in the first couple chapters where Rand was like, well, Moraine doesn't think he's dead or like someone doesn't think he's dead. And like every couple chapters, they mention him again. I'm like, grand entrance. Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Dan? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very satisfied with these chapters. I think they've introduced a lot of fun, like magical uh, components and just like good world building. So yeah, Jordan's really getting into his element. And I'm starting to really appreciate the world of like Wheel of Time. I think the only other thing for me uh, was uh, not these chapters, but something I meant to bring up last week, just a minor little interesting tidbit was the dedication at the start of the book, which is uh, the book is dedicated to Lucinda Culp and Al Dempsey and Tom Gardy. And then this whole long, long, long list of names. Jordan says, they came to my aid when God walked across the water and the true eye of the world passed over my house. This, and I, and I was like, here, that is, that sounded so cryptic to me for the longest time. I had no idea what, what it was, uh, but it made a lot of sense looking up um, some comments made uh, in, in passing, I think, at, at some conventions or something. This was a reference to Hurricane Hugo, which struck Charleston, uh, South Carolina, Robert Jordan's home in September of 1989, and was uh, uh, an, you know, so this was before I was born. But I remember even, you know, my parents talking about this hurricane as being incredibly destructive on, on the East Coast. And like they they were in South Carolina at, at, at the time, actually. So that that's what that is. If that's it for this episode, next time we'll be reading chapters 16 to 20 of The Great Hunt and finding out just uh, what the heck is going on in this other place and then seeing the story continue to develop in these different party plot lines. This episode of Wattcast was produced by yours truly. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Caleb Wimble. Keely, where can people find you? On Twitter and Instagram at Keely underscore reads. Dan, where can people find you? At Pansy Dan at Instagram and Twitter. Remember, you can find us all at Wattcast.net. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Wattcast Podcast if you want to get those regular updates on the show. And support us at Patreon.com slash Wattcast, which is, again, where if you join the Tar Volunteer, you can get access to our new Witcher bonus episode, talking with Keely and with Jerry and having a really fun, really involved discussion about uh, everything The Witcher, especially the latest season on Netflix. Uh, the last month, I believe, that that one launched. Uh, You can also support us by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. This helps so much. Number two way we find new listeners. The number one way is to tell a friend about the show. Word of mouth means the world to us. That's all for today. Thanks for listening, folks. And remember, this is not the ending. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time, but this is an ending. Farewell. I don't want to the tattoo convention is coming up in philly and i'm like i sort of really love the the wheel weaves <laughs> quote i'm like can i turn that into mm. a design because it'd be like i just it's such a relaxing quote because it's kind of like whenever there's like a moment where there's like shit going on they, they just kind of like say it i'm like it's a clever way of just being like shit happens it's like you can't control like the flow of reality um
I don't know. I'm like, after this chapter, I'm just like, oh, I really do like that saying. <laughs> like, is it, too, is it too nerdy to get a Wheel of Time like that? Too? Not if you get it in like a uh, like a remake of one of those signs you get, like the Live, Laugh, Love signs. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep calm and weave on. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my yes. God. Yeah. Oh, no, that'd be, that'd be a good one. You could, yeah, yeah, you could do some good designs for that. Or if you wanted to get infinity worked into it in some way or any one of those yeah, just, symbols yeah it's just like a fun i don't know i like that say i don't know i'm like should I read all the books before committing to like that phrase like <laughs> i always like don't do anything around media it's always like my own ideas whenever i come mm. up with a tattoo idea because i don't want something getting appropriated by like the alt-right and then i'm like i have like a pepe the frog tattoo <laughs> now. Like, yeah. it's not like a white nationalist like symbol so like whenever you do something that's like I don't want to do anything that's like a uh, in the the popular sphere because then it can always be appropriated by someone else that are like oh but that could be that, that could be anything you know like it could be a hundred years old and suddenly it means something new like you could you know you could live in China and suddenly Winnie the Pooh is like a, a certain like, <laughs> symbol of pol political sentiment and a particular party and, and and everything so you just never know. <laughs> But I don't know. That sounds like a good tattoo idea to me. And you know, if you if you re if if something does happen at some point, you could always get it worked worked into something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I'll think about it. But I'm just like, it's a fun phrase. I kind of like it. It's like there's a small spot I could like kind of get that somewhere. <laughs> <laughs>